welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're three weeks into a series uh, going through the book of uh, Haggai, Old Testament, <clears throat> minor prophet, uh, going verse by verse uh, through this uh, book. Uh, the reason we're doing so is the title of it is exhorting God's people, and the people in that day and time uh, needed to be exhorted to do something God had called them to do. God had told them uh, to go and uh, build Jerusalem back and build the temple. Uh, years previous, they had been carried away in captivity to Babylon. Uh, and, and then God uh, uh, oversaw for them and worked things out to where f- about 50,000 of the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem, uh, where they would uh, start rebuilding the city, rebuilding the wall. Uh, and they actually laid the foundation of the temple. But then somewhere along the way, because of external pressures and because of becoming sidetracked uh, in their own personal affairs, uh, they stopped building the temple. Uh, and it sat there for about 16 years. And that's why God raised Haggai up and told him to go and exhort the people to get busy uh, building the temple up because it had laid uh, waste for so many years. They laid the foundation. They had good intentions. But somewhere along the way, their own lives became more important to them than doing what God had actually called them to do. So I hope you're already seeing some application for us in our lives. While we may not be in a building program and God telling us to build the temple, he has told us to be the body of Christ, to build believers, to be changing the world in our vision statement, the things he tells us in our mission statement that are big picture things for our church to be about. And if we're not careful, uh, we can do the exact same thing the people did in Haggai's day. We can become so consumed with our own lives, our own purposes, our own desires, that we forget what God has called us to do, and we just kind of focus upon our own lives. So we ourselves need to be uh, exhorted. Uh, and that's what Haggai was doing with the people there. He was encouraging them. He was telling them, uh, you need to get busy building the temple. Today, as we look at the verses that we'll have before us, you might even say that, that he was shaming them to a certain degree. Uh, and helping them to see why God's judgment was against them uh, because they were failing to, to build the temple. And, and I think there's all kinds of application for us. I know we're not uh, a remnant that's returned from uh, uh, Jerusalem. I understand all that. But I think in the prophets, when you read the prophets, at least for me, a lot of times when you read in the prophets, it's not a lot of fun because most of the time the prophets are saying, here's a mistake you're making. Here's why you're facing what you're facing. Here's the changes that you need to make in your life. And I think those things in a big picture way uh, hold true to us still yet in, in the day that we, uh, that we live in. Uh, in this series, we are trying to be exhorted in about seven ways. We started out uh, talking about putting God first uh, two weeks ago, and that's very strategic in our lives. We need to be sure that we allow God to have the proper focus in our lives and to put him first. Last week, we talked about consider your ways. And uh, in that message, uh, if you remember one of the word studies that I used, when he said consider your ways, what God was really saying was this. He, he was saying consider your ways from my vantage point, from my viewpoint. He's not saying for you to evaluate your ways personally and see if you're satisfied with the way your life is going and the choices that you're making. God was saying view it from my vantage point, from my viewpoint, and then make the changes necessary to make your life in line with what I'm calling you to do. 
Uh, today we're going to talk about believing God's promises, maybe from a different aspect than you might anticipate. Uh, next week, obey God's command. Uh, week number five, look up because God is with us. Each week, I've told you, that's an extremely important thing for us to recognize and realize. Uh, if God calls you to do something, it's really easy for us to say, you know what, I'm not qualified, I can't do it, and come up with all kinds of excuses. The truth of the matter is, if God calls us to do something, we can do it because he's with us. And we ought to be encouraged by the fact that he is with us as, uh, as we try to serve him. Uh, we're going to look at how sin can contaminate us. So we need to be careful and we need to look inside our lives and be sure there's not something there that's hindering us from being everything that God wants us to be. And then uh, really ends on a positive note. We can look ahead and see God seals us. And there's a prophecy there that really alludes to the fact that Jesus being our seal of salvation and uh, really a, a great way, I think, to, uh, to end the series. Uh, today we're going to talk about this though, believe God's promises. Um, a lot of times when we think about God's promises, it's real easy for us to gravitate toward the positive part of the promise. In other words, things that we like, things that maybe make us feel excited or comfort us or give us hope. Those are the kinds of things that we can kind of believe in and grab hold of. But as you'll see today, God in his promises also includes negative aspects that we may not like to think about a lot of times. He did that for the children of Israel. You'll see in a moment as I read some scriptures in in Leviticus, but the children of Israel, he took them into the promised land. He more or less said, if you'll do this, I'm going to bless you. But if you forget me, then there's going to be some problems. And that was part of God's promise. God makes promises, and inside the promise, there can be a very positive aspect that we love to think about and dwell on. There can also be some negative things that that we might not want to think about believing in. But see, here's the deal with it. If God makes a promise, he keeps all of his promise. Amen? God doesn't mince his words. Uh, If God makes a promise, all of it is true. If God were to make a promise and only keep one aspect of it and never ever enforce the other aspect of it, then we'd have a reason to wonder whether God is really God or not and really whether he meant what he said. And that's why we need to recognize that we ought to believe all the promise of God, not just focus upon the parts that we like. Uh, he told them in, in Leviticus, and we'll read some of that in, in, in just a minute, because I want you to see some negative part of the promise uh, also that's, that's there. Uh, Let me say this, and I'll come back to say it near the end before I even read that in Leviticus. I don't have a problem. Matter of fact, I'm glad God does this. I don't have a problem with God keeping all of his promise. Amen? Amen. Because if he only keeps part of it, how do I know he's going to keep the part that maybe deals with my salvation? You You know, we need to be glad that God says what he means to say and that he, that he means it when he, when he says it both the good aspect and, and the negative aspect of it. Look, look with me at, uh, in Leviticus as we kind of set a tone for what we're talking about uh, today. To start with, there's some positive parts of the promise that he gave the children of Israel uh, years ago before the win, the promised land. Now, now bear in mind, uh, Haggai is years later. The people who lived in the promised land uh, for years and years and years. They continued to kind of draw to God, rebel against God, draw to God, rebel against God. Ultimately, it led to them being so involved in the worship of idols that God carried them away in, into the land of Babylon. 
uh, and now they have, have returned. But this is the warning that God gave to start with, and we see aspects of it fulfilled in Haggai's day. Not just in Haggai's day, but other parts of the Old Testament. We'll see where God said, if you do this, I'll be good to you more or less. I'll bless you. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. Now, let me qualify what I'm saying for a minute. Because I don't want anyone to get confused and, and go away from here thinking, okay, the preacher said if I do everything that God wants me to do, that means my life will be a bed of roses and everything will be good. Read the book of Job, amen? Or look at Paul's life. It, that doesn't mean it's always the case, but I think it is always the case we're better off doing what God tells us to do. You know, you may not experience a uh, full blessing for it here, but if you don't have anything other than the blessing of not carrying the guilt for disobeying God, that's a blessing. To not go around with guilt on your heart all the time. Uh, and there's an ultimate blessing that lasts forever that's more important than here anyway. Uh, but look at the positive part. <clears throat> he tells the children of Israel, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I'll give you, and he talks about blessings, then I'll give you rains in their season, and the land shall, shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, your threshing, talking about the threshing floor, shall, shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. Now, it goes on with uh, some more positive. He said, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store, long kept, and you shall clear out the old and make room for the new. In other words, God's saying, if you're following me, I'm going to bless you to the extent you can't even consume all of it. And you'll wind up having to throw it away because I'm going to bless you with new blessings, with new things. It's what God was telling the children of Israel. Now, that's the positive aspect. But... His promise also included a negative aspect because he also tells them in Leviticus 26, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, which is a description of a drought that you'll see when we get into, into Haggai. Uh, and, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit." Now, I'm not going to read the, the next uh, text that they can bring up on the screen. I'm just going to talk through it. But more or less, God tells them uh, that uh, they are going to uh, uh, experience these things because they walk contrary to him and he walked contrary uh, to, to them. Uh, and he tells them that after all these years, the land lay desolate. If they confess their sin and the sin of their fathers, that he's going to bring them back into the promised land. So that has now happened. Uh, they've been away in, in Babylon, and now they are returned uh, back to the promised land with a commission from God to rebuild the city, which included rebuilding the temple that they had stopped building at this point in, in time. So here's where we are in Haggai, verse 9 through verse number 11. You look for much. In other words, they anticipated 
great blessing. After all, they're the people of God. They, they look for much. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Does that sound a little bit like what I read in Leviticus a minute ago? The heaven is iron, the earth is bronze because it's very hard for the lack of dew and the lack of rain. And that's why the crops aren't coming forth. He said, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, some translations say mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, and on man and beast, and on all their labors. In those verses, Haggai gives us two signs that God keeps both the good and the negative aspects of his promises. That God will keep his word. Maybe the Israelites expected it only to be the good part because, you see, Israel had this problem, and I meant to say it a moment ago, and I think I skipped over it and fell to. The, the Israelites, if you look at the, their history as a nation, they tended to do this. They tended to magnify their privileges and minimize their responsibilities. And I'm afraid maybe the church in America is doing the same thing too. We want to magnify our privileges and minimize our responsibilities. And that was the situation that was taking place when Haggai speaks to them. Here's the two signs that he gives them that God keeps even the negative part of his promises. Sign number one is this. He looks at the people and he says, you expect large increase but experience little. You expect a large increase, but you experience little. They were expecting it probably because, after all, they were God's people, you know? And I'm afraid we delude ourselves in the same way. We're Christians. We're the church. We're America. So, you know, God, you kind of have to bless us. And we expect that, but that doesn't mean that will be our reality. And that wasn't what happened to the children of, of Israel. He said, you look for much. You're anticipating much. You look for much. And behold, it came to little. And the little that you did gather, that you did earn when you brought it home, I blew it away. And then God asked the question himself, why? Declares the Lord of hosts. And then he answers the question, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now I want you to notice three things within, within verse number nine. First of all, they had an expectation of privilege, an expectation of privilege. It was embedded in their minds because they thought of themselves as the people of God, everyone else is Gentiles, and because we're the people of God, God, you, you have to bless us, it is the mindset that they had. In that little phrase, you look for much, the, the word that he uses for look means to turn by implication of face. It kind of gives the idea of whichever way you're looking. Four means that you're walking towards something in the direction of something or near something, and they were expecting much, a large increase in, in whatever respect it might have been. Now, when you put those three words together, I think here's the implication that's being made. That the children of Israel, because they were God's people, anticipated that whichever direction they walked, 
Wherever they looked, whatever direction they were going in their lives, even if it might have been opposed to God, because they are not building the temple at this time, but they have this anticipation because they're God's people. God, you have to bless us. The crops have to grow. The rain has to fall because we're God's people. They had the mentality that whatever direction they traveled, wherever they looked, in front of them, they should have found the blessings of God. They, they anticipated privilege as God's people. They thought that meant that, that God would always bless them. The problem with it, with it was this. They were looking to their own desires and their own wants instead of what God desired for them. They, they were chasing after their, their own desires. They might have had this expectation of, of privilege as though everything they touched should turn to gold. I'll try to remember to come back to that in a minute. You're familiar with that phrase. Well, everything that you touch turns to gold. Maybe that's the way they view things to give you a, a, just a common phrase for how the, the Jews there in Jerusalem might have been viewing things. After all, God freed them from Babylon. God brought them back. God allowed them to build the walls back and they build their houses. And after all, they started the foundation 16 years ago. See, that's our problem too. A lot of times I think we like to live in glory past. And it's fine to think about things God has done in the past, but God still has things to do in the future. And we don't need just to be satisfied in the past. 16 years ago, we did that. We at least laid the foundation. What, what about now? It is what God is telling them through, through Haggai. They stopped building God's vision and they started building their own vision and chasing after their own desires with the expectation that God will bless them because they were the people of God. But their actions didn't look much like the people of God. Instead, they looked more like the people of themselves. I wish that were only true in Haggai's day. Because we can claim to be Christians and we can claim to be the people of God and, and all that might be authentic and real, but if we're not careful, the way we live our lives will not appear to the world around us that we are the people of God. We look like we're more the people of ourselves. Because we're so inwardly focused with our, with our own lives. I'm afraid Christians in this day and time, at least in America, in other parts of the world where things are more difficult and persecution exists, I don't know they have the same delusion that we do, but I think we're deluded in America as Christians, I think, because we're the people of God, God has to bless us. Or because we're America, because we're a, quote, Christian nation that's not really necessarily true at all anymore, but we think of it in those terms, and because of that, we think, well, well, God, you, you have to bless us, and we'll take that approach and that attitude, anticipating privilege from God without us even stopping to think about the way we live our lives, without us even stopping to ask the question, am I living my life the way God wants me to, or am I living my life the way I want to live it? Because you see, if we're only living for ourselves, that anticipation of privilege has a problem attached to it. If you think God's going to bless you simply because you have the title of Christian or we have the title of America. And Haggai points to them, even though they had this anticipation, this expectation of the privilege of God, that's not what their experience was. What they were experiencing was this, they were experiencing poverty. 
As I use the word poverty, I'm not just talking about physical poverty, although with the drought and everything that was taking place in that day, in Haggai's day around Jerusalem, they were experiencing physical poverty, but you see, they also had a spiritual poverty. Well, we know that because they were serving themselves and not God. So as we apply this to ourselves today, you may be someone that feels like, well, yeah, I'm having some physical poverty in your life, but the, the more important underlying thing that we need to focus on is this, maybe there's spiritual poverty. Maybe America is where it is today because of spiritual poverty. Maybe you and I are where we are in our lives today because there's spiritual poverty. All we are is anticipating that God's going to give us privilege, but because we're living our lives for ourselves and not for God, what we're anticipating is, is poverty. He said, behold, it came to little. They were expecting a lot, but behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. The, the word behold that God uh, used there, had Haggai to use, is a word that really ex- expresses surprise. Uh, and, and I think that's interesting that God had him to use that word. He didn't just tell him to see. He, he told him this, see and be surprised at what you see. Because their mentality was, go back to what I talked about a moment ago, their mentality was that God had to bless them because they were the privileged people of God. So God says, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, you need to understand something. You need to wake up and understand something. Here's a surprise for you. The the, um, large amount that you're anticipating, the definition came to little. We saw the same word uh, last week. And the word, one of the definitions of that word in the Hebrew uh, means to pair off or, or trim away. And I told you last week it was as though God was taking the increase that they anticipated and taking a pair of knife and God was just trimming it away because of the way they were living their lives. And he said, you brought it home. You're going and you're coming. You're working hard. It, it didn't mean that they were not actively involved. They were going and coming. They were laboring hard, expecting an increase. They were sowing a lot, expecting an increase but it came to little. And God said, I blew it away. Referring to himself, God just puffed and it seemed to disappear. Do you ever feel like that in your own life? You ever think, man, I'm working really hard to make ends meet? Apply to our nation. Look at the budget deficit we have in our nation. Don't you think maybe there's some things indicative that we ought to be paying attention to that maybe should communicate to us that somewhere we're missing God's blessing? Will it be in your individual life? Because you might think, man, I work hard, I work hard, I work hard, and I go home and I bring it home, and it's just like it disappears. I've got an anticipation for it to be a large increase, but but it just seems like it, it, it evaporates. I can't make ends meet. Now, you understand, I'm not saying this is always the case, but I am saying it's worth your evaluation and my evaluation. If we're putting a lot of energy, as I've said both times in this series so far, if we're putting a lot of energy and a lot of effort in little increase, maybe there's an underlying problem somewhere that we aren't listening to God and we aren't applying his word to our lives. Instead, we're living our lives the way we want to. Instead of the way that God is calling us to, to live our lives. Maybe you feel like you're living like the people in Haggai's day. There can be a reason for that. Maybe you've been imagining your privileged position. I'm a Christian. I live in America. And yet, it's as though you can't make ends meet and you're experiencing loss because the reason is this. You're ignoring God's will for your life. They had an expectation of privilege from God because they were God's people. 
Their true experience, though, was one of poverty. And, and now Haggai, in the last part of verse number 9, he explains to them why they're being punished. He explains to them why he's upset. He explains to them why the rain has stopped falling, why the ground was hard, why they had very little increase. He explains to them the reason for their punishment. God even raises the question, as I said a moment ago, himself, why declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins. God answers the question while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now, when, when God asks why, it's not just something that where you're asking an interrogative question, although it can be used as that, but that word in the Hebrew can also be used as an exclamation. It's as though God is saying, here's what, here's why, here's how this is taking place in your life. He declares it as an oracle, the Lord God Almighty. The, the word that's used, let me talk about that for a moment, because it's not the normal word that's translated Lord in the Hebrew. The, the, the Jews had so much respect for the holiness of God, and they might not have already showed it in the way they lived, but they had s- such a mindset of respect for the holiness of God that they used this word in the Hebrew to keep from vain repetition in referring to God. In other words, they thought God was so holy, so special. Instead of just using the normal word that might be translated Jehovah, sometimes they would insert this word instead in their recognition of how special and unique and how holy God is. Now, the reason I wanted to dig a little bit in that word study is this. I, I'm afraid in our culture, we need to return to the holiness of God. I'm glad God is a God of love. How about you? Amen? I'm glad he loved us and he sent his son to die on the cross. But you want to know why he did that? Because he's a holy God foundationally. And they were so respectful of God that they would use this word just to keep from vain repetition in talking about God. We need in our lives and in our churches and our nation to return to that type of awareness of how holy God is. The the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of all the armies of heaven. We've already talked about that in this series. And then he says, here's the reason for your loss. The word because literally means to pay attention or pay heed to what he's about to say. He implies the purpose of what they're going through, the reason why they're going through what they're facing. And here it is. He says, because my house, God's house or family, here it refers to the temple as God's house that they had failed to build. But an application for us, as I've said each week in this series, we're not in a building program, but we are in a building program because our vision statement tells us we're supposed to be building what? One, two, three believers. So that means we are in a building program. The word meant house, God's house, a little temple, also meant God's family. And we are supposed to be about building God's family. They were failing to build the temple in that day and time. And as a result of that, that would affect the building of God's family there in Jerusalem. And instead of building his house, God says, it's lying in ruins, it's parts, it's ruined, it's desolate. It's, it's in decay, a state of decay, it's lying in waste. While each of you, in particular, he's addressing the men. 
Why, why? Because of the word that's used in the Hebrew. Uh, a man is an individual, a male person. While each of you busies himself. And that phrase is interesting in the, in the Hebrew also because it means to run after something or to, to rush after something. Why each of you busy yourself to run for whatever reason, especially to rush, as though you are running to guard something or to put a post there, someone, someone guarding. Now, what he says they're rushing to is their own house. In other words, their own purposes. They're about building their purposes, chasing after their will, their desires, instead of what God tells them they needed to be about. And it's as though the people were rushing, running, to post a guard and be sure they're going to protect their desires and what they want their life to be about. Do you see how we do that in our own lives many times? See, you don't have to be building a house and putting all your money and all your time and investments into building a home. It can be your house can be anything that's taking you away from the will and the purpose of God. If you are running in your life to protect something because it is so dear to you, even though it might be against God's will, or it is keeping you from doing what God has called you to do, in essence, we are guilty of doing the same thing that people were doing in that day and time. We're busying ourselves with what we want instead of busying ourselves with what God desires and what God has told us to. They were so busy in their own lives with their own homes, rushing after what they wanted in allowing God's house just to remain in ruins. Last week, we talked about consider your ways, and I've already mentioned to you earlier what I was talking about. God said, from my vantage point, you need to consider your ways, and you need to change your ways to where your ways fit what my desire is for your life. We also need to do that in our day and time. We in our individual lives need to consider our ways. And we need to ask ourselves, just maybe that's the reason why the blessing of God seems to be missing from our lives or from our nation. We need to clearly evaluate our ways and, and ask ourselves if maybe we've been chasing after the wrong thing. We've been expecting a large increase and we get very little. We've been rushing after our own lives, our own desires, our own purpose, while ignoring God's will or ignoring the church or ignoring the, the body of Christ. Think about it in these terms. Since we're talking about building the body and not building a building. And God said his house was lying in waste, it was desolate, or lying in ruin. Have you ever thought about this? Just maybe because you or I aren't feeling the place that we're supposed to feel in doing what God has called us to do within the church. Maybe the church is lying a little bit desolate today and wasted because we're missing the needed resources and the needed people and their time and their talents to do everything God's called us to do. Maybe individualize a little bit more, not just the church, but down to your own life. Think about your circle of influence, the people that you rub shoulders with in your life. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe someone's life is wasted. Maybe someone's life is lying desolate. Because you are failing to chase after God's purposes in your life. And instead you're busy chasing after your own purposes while God is wanting to use you to impact the life of that other person. That's a sad thought, isn't it? Kind of a scary thought for us. Second thing, the second sign he gives us of him keeping negative aspects of his promises along with the good aspects of his promises 
is that Haggai told the people this, you're expecting showers of blessings, but you're experiencing heaven's drought. They were expecting the rain to fall. They were expecting the dew to fall, literally. But what they were experiencing was a literal drought. The application in our lives might be this. We, we go about because we're Christians and we live in America. With that anticipated privilege I talked about earlier, we're expecting showers of blessings, but instead we might be getting a spiritual drought that's hitting our lives and hitting our country. I've already alluded to this, but let me read it just to set it fresh context in your mind before we talk about the next two verses, verse 10 and 11. In Leviticus 26, he said, And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. I will break... I think we just broke a light bulb back there or something. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. They, they were laboring, they were sowing, they were working hard. And your land shall not yield its increase. And the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Do you get the sense of what I'm talking about this morning before I even talk any more about that? Most of the time you don't read the prophets and then, or go to church and hear a sermon on the prophets and leave from here saying, Praise God! But it's just a part of God's word as John 3.16 is. Or Romans chapter 10. Or Romans chapter 8, being more than conquerors. And I'm afraid we're experiencing in our nation and in our own lives similar things spiritually because we're ignoring the will of God and what God has told us to be about. In verse number 10 and 11, Haggai gives the people the evidence of God's displeasure. This list of things that's taking place, Haggai saying, this ought to be a sign to you. This ought to be evidence to you that God's displeased with the way you're living your life. God's displeased that you've let the temple lay waste for 16 years. God's displeased that you've been been building your own life in your own homes and not taking time to focus on his will for your life. God, God is expressing displeasure to them. He's giving them a wake-up call by what was taking place. Therefore, therefore, when you read it in the Bible, you need to look in front of it and see what it's there for. You've heard me say that before. What was right before this? You're building your own houses while my house lies in waste. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Simply put, Haggai saying, hey, guys, you need to understand things aren't going too well. You need to recognize the way you've been living your life, anticipating God to give you privilege, anticipating God to give you blessings, that you're not seeing it. And here's why you're not seeing it. 
You've been so busy building your own life and making your life about you instead of making your life about my will. These things are happening right now in your world to give you a wake-up call. To help you perceive that I'm not very pleased. The word he uses for heavens doesn't just talk about our atmosphere. It talks about the whole outer space. Our atmosphere onward. In other words, from here to God's throne. All of, of heaven, it, it's, it's like it had turned to iron. And, and the ground was hard like bronze because there's no dew or rain from heaven and the ground was withholding its produce. That, that phrase, the earth is withheld its produce, talks about the earth at large. And, but, it, but it literally means this. It's, it means to be restricted or held back or prohibited. It was taking place on purpose. It wasn't just a climate change. <laughs> God is saying this is happening because I'm the one that made it to happen. And I'm making this to happen because of the way you've lived your lives. He said the grain that would, you would normally receive would have been flowing, the, the word means, to, to the point that you would bring it out and celebrate it with pomp or celebration that you had so much grain. That would have been the normal case under God's blessing but because they were missing God's blessing, it's being withheld. God said this. He said, I have called for a drought. In the Hebrew language that he uses there, the word for call is the same thing as if you and I were to be out somewhere in public and you see, you know, out across the street, a couple blocks over, somebody that you know, and you're trying to get their attention and you're, you're calling over them and you're yelling to them and you're getting their name, trying to gain their attention. Well, here's what God did. God got the attention of a drought because God is God. And God called out to heaven and he said, let there be a drought. We withhold the the, the rain. Let there be drought and desolation and waste. And the root word means a cutting instrument from its destructive effect. If you let a drought go long enough, there's this cutting pain that people have because of not eating. But I don't even think that's what really the prophet was alluding to. I was thinking he was literally saying this. You need to recognize your circumstances, recognize your behavior. You need to open your eyes and understand all this is happening because you have chased after your own dreams in your own life and you've refused to chase after what I have told you to be involved with. And I think he was aiming at cutting their heart just a little bit. That that drought being so real and the experiences that they were having in their lives should have been, been cutting at their heart. Making them wake up, making them realize all that they were losing. God said a moment ago in Leviticus, when I read over there, I will break the pride of your power. Pride all through the Bible is a very dangerous characteristic. And it's even dangerous within the church. For us to be so prideful that we think because we're Christians, God, you have to bless us. For our nation to act like God because we're America. We're one nation under God. I wish that were true. That you have to bless us. And we live in a deluded world where we think, hey, 
We're in America. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, the deficit's bad. Things look bad on the news. But we're America. God's going to take care of us. God's going to bless us. Have you ever read in the Bible the number of times he chastened his own people, the Jews? And even used enemy nations to come in and give them wake-up calls. Hey, ISIS could be a wake-up call for America. Oh, they're just the JV squad. I think I heard that somewhere before. Well, JV squad left alone long enough could explode a bomb over our atmosphere that knocks out our whole electrical grid. And I'm not trying to scare you or be a, a doomsayer. I was telling Becky after I read this, and I read it before, but I just happened to read it again last night online while I sat in there. And Becky said, is this something good? I said, no. She said, I don't want to hear it. But if they were to knock out our power grid, and if it were to stay knocked out for a year, estimates are nine out of ten Americans would die in a year. God can break our pride. And that's why we need to be paying attention to wake-up calls. God was giving the people in Haggai's day wake-up calls, and we need to be paying attention to his wake-up calls because I'm afraid America is experiencing a spiritual drought. Would you agree with that? Haggai gives them the evidence of God's displeasure. They're expecting showers of blessings, but they were getting a drought instead. Haggai said, this is why. But but I want you to notice that that the experience of God's displeasure is not just something that's evidence for them. It's also an experience. It's something that they would actually experience and go through. They They were facing it. It was real in their lives. Look at everything that was affected. <clears throat> he said, I've called for a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, on the ground that brings forth, on the man and beast and on all their labors. He talks about the land that's affected because there's no fertile soil and no rainfall and no crops. He talks about the hills and the mountains being affected, the grain being affected, the new wine being affected. That literally means the fresh grape juice that's just been squeezed out when he refers to new wine. And the reason they couldn't get any new wine because there wasn't any moisture in the grapes. Everything was dried up with the drought. He said the olive oil was affected. And for us in this day and time, that might not be a biggie because we just kind of use olive oil to cook with. In that day and time, they would use it to cook with, but they also burn it in lanterns. So it also provided light for them. It was part of their lifestyle. They would use it for anointing and medicinal purposes and other ways. So the fact that the olive oil was gone was impacting their lives. God said all that would grow from the ground was affected. He said man was affected. Animals were affected. And he said all the work of their hands was affected. All of their labor, everything that they were doing. And the word that's used for hand refers to the literal palm of your hand or your your grip. So it's like God is telling them this. You're working really hard. You're bringing it home. I'm blowing it away. He said that just a moment ago. In other words, now he's telling them you're working really hard and you're trying your best to hold on to it. But no matter how tight you try and hold on to it, it's just evaporating. It's disappearing. Because it was a judgment of God. Because they had forgot about God, as the children of Israel did time and time and time again. Even after being set free from Babylon. Even after having the privilege of going back to rebuild their homeland and their home city. 
Even after being called upon by God to build the temple that was a symbol of glory for, for the Jews, and they get so sidetracked, they, they just build their own homes instead. And chase after their own desires instead of chasing after God's desires. It's as though everything they touched that they thought would turn to gold, remember I said that earlier, was just disappearing. Because God had set his face against them because they had turned their back on God. Believe God's promises is what we've talked about this morning. And that means not just the good part. Not just the parts of God's promises that give us hope and we have joy and we want to celebrate and rejoice. And we ought to do that. But God also promises some negative things if we turn our back on Him, if we forget Him, if we don't live for Him. And the same God that keeps the good promises keeps the bad promises. And as I said earlier, I'm so glad He does because that lets me know He's really God. Because if He were just to keep the good part and let the other part go, it would make me wonder if he really meant what he said on any of it. You see, God's not like we are. Now, maybe some of you haven't been guilty of this. I was, and I'm assuming a lot of you are. You ever tell your children, don't do that, you quit doing that. If you don't quit doing that, I'm going to spank you. Three hours later, you're saying the same thing. thousand days down the road, you're saying the same thing. You know what that communicates to them? I don't think they really meant that. So I think I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And after all, I'm getting away with it. No repercussion. See, that's not the way God is. God mean, means what he says. Thank God he has mercy, amen? And he gives us chances and opportunities. But eventually it catches up. In this particular case, it caught up to the children of Israel. And they were living in a very bad time in Jerusalem with this drought taking place because they had failed to obey God. How does that apply to us? Well, it really depends on where you are in your relationship to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, the fact that God keeps his promises, all of his promises, means this. The same God that loves you, the same God that sent his son from heaven to go to a cross and suffer in your place, to be beaten and abused on the way there, sped upon on the way there, suffer nailed to that cross for you. Because he loves you that much. He did that so he can offer you forgiveness and grace and salvation. That you don't have to earn because Jesus Jesus earned it for you. That same God that makes the promise of salvation. That same God that talks about a place called heaven. 
is the exact same God that talks about judgment and condemnation and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. So what I'm trying to tell you today, if you don't know for sure that you're a Christian, you need to be careful and you need to have a wake-up call because God keeps all of his promise. And if you don't trust in Jesus and he's your only hope, it's the only way that God's provided. If you don't trust in him, eventually one day, there'll be a payday that comes your way for all eternity because God keeps his promises. So I hope if you don't know Christ as your Savior today and we have this thing we call an invitation, you'll listen for God to speak to your heart. If you're a Christian, the application is a little bit different. If you're a Christian, the application is kind of like it was for God's people in Haggai's day. If you're a Christian, the application for us is this. We need to evaluate, am I living my life for myself? Have I set aside God's plan? Have I set aside God's purpose? Am I not interested in God except when I'm at church? The rest of the time I'm chasing my own desires and my own purposes. And as a result of it, you're facing frustration in your life because you've chased after the wrong thing. you're having all kinds of financial difficulty in your life, I'm not saying this is the reason, but I'm saying you need to consider it might be the reason God isn't blessing you because you have forgotten him and you're chasing after your own life instead of the life he wants for you. If you're having all kinds of difficulty in relationships, it may be that you're not facing those relationships based upon what God says. Instead, you're building relationships based upon what you want in your own activity. And then you're having problems in relationships. I'm not saying guaranteeing it's the case, but I'm saying you might need to potentially evaluate. It may be the case you're experiencing that difficulty because you're living your life separate from what God wants in your life. I can go on with your job or whatever circumstance. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. For us as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, am I living my life just for me? Or am I living my life the way God wants me to live my life? God has plans for us. He has plans for us as individuals. The Bible says for you before you were born, he had plans for you. He has plans for us as a church. Big picture plan is this. That's true of any church and any Christian. God wants us to be the body of Christ. He wants us to build believers. He wants us to change the world. That's God's vision for us. The issue is, are you trying to be part of the body of Christ? Are you trying to build believers? Are you trying to change the world? Are you living your life for yourself? Are you running and chasing after God's dream? Are you just chasing after what you want in your life? Father, Father, I pray right now that you If you've not already, Father, I pray you give us a spirit of heaviness on our hearts. I pray that over our lives as individuals that you would burden us and and cause us to evaluate whether we're living our lives for ourselves or for you. 
whether we're facing the negative circumstances in our life because we are focused upon what we want instead of what you want. The Father, give us a burden, a heavy heart for, for ourselves. Help us to evaluate ourselves. Lord, there's someone in this place that doesn't know you. They've never found salvation by admitting they're a sinner and trusting in Jesus and nothing else. Please give them the clearness and the understanding right now that there is a place of judgment. And that you keep all of your promises, the good part and the bad. God, help them right now to believe in the good part, to trust in Jesus and be forgiven and become part of your family so they won't have to experience the negative part of your promise. Father, for us as believers, help us to evaluate where we are. God, I pray you give us a spirit of heaviness about our nation. God, as we look at the news and the, the, the financial deficit and so much has taken place in our land. God, give us a burden and help us to, to at least ask the question. Maybe, maybe things have changed in America because we've forgotten you. Because we've turned our back on you. And Father, help us to pray for our country, to pray for our leaders. And help us to be a nation that turns back to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.